G'day friends and uh, welcome to The Separation Guide. Uh, it's Jack Whelan here, a barrister and mediator. And I'm delighted that uh, this afternoon we're joined by Davide Di Pietro, a clinical social worker, a family clinic principal therapist at the Resilience Centre, which is helping many, many families in, uh, in Sydney. Uh, Davide, welcome and thanks very much for contributing to the terrific resources, uh, which is uh, assisting people who are going to the Separation Guide site. No, not a problem. Nice to be here. Good on you. Good on you. Davide, tell us about the Resilience Centre and the sort of work that it does in, in helping the many thousands of Australians that, uh, that you do. Look, the Resilience Centre is a pretty special place. Um, it's a, a venue of positive life change. And I guess we're a team of like-minded, highly experienced mental health professionals, all with different areas of expertise and things that we uh, enjoy working with. Uh, we work with individuals, with couples and with families. And um, how familiar is the Resilience Centre with assisting people who are going through separation and divorce? Well, like you've already mentioned, I'm an accredited mental health social worker and the principal therapist of the family clinic at the Resilience Centre. So the family clinic is a service that specialises in working therapeutically with families uh, at all stages of separation. Now, uh, here's a question which I get asked a lot, and no doubt you get asked a lot as well. Um, and how one answers it briefly uh, is a huge challenge. But in respect of separating and divorcing well, yeah. um, from your perspective, what does that look like? Or perhaps more accurately, what are the features of people actually doing this well? Jack, I love that term, separating well. Um, yes, the answer is yes, yes, yes. I think there's a, there's a, there's a way to do that. And separating well starts with setting it upright. So there's a number of reasons and any number of reasons why a marriage might end in separation and divorce. Yep. Um, and of course, it's easy for couples to focus on why the separation. And when you do that, what often comes up is uh, lots of thoughts about blame and uh, emotions and usually lots of ammunition. So instead of doing that, I ask couples to think about reasons for the separation. So what I mean by that is instead of focusing on problems that might have contributed to and ultimately led to the separation, uh, couples switch their focus so that they're thinking about um, it in a way that acknowledges how choosing to separate is actually a solution to a problem. Yeah, how hard is that to achieve? People, as you say, they've, they've got that, that ammunition yeah. um, and it's hard to be consistent. Um, a lot of people are hurt. H how can you encourage that, that reframe and, and, and what sorts of advice do you give people to, to assist them in, in moving from that, that perhaps well characterised that, that sense of wanting to attribute blame, wanting to prove that they may be right or, or wanting to express that they're hurt yep. into that new frame uh, moving forward? How, how do you do that, Davide? It's definitely work. It takes, um, it takes yeah. effort. Yeah. Um, but I think exploring the benefits to it, I, I mean, the, the benefits way outweigh um, any other option. So when, when a, a person or when a couple is able to understand why it would be a good idea to work at doing this, um, usually that, that can help. Yeah. So um, I, I ask people to think about uh, the opportunities that we'll have now that we're separated. 
And that might be opportunities for each adult individually, uh, things like a sense of autonomy or freedom, but it might mean something else, opportunities like for them as a parent to build a different relationship with their children uh, or opportunities for their children. That must take time. It, it takes work, but it also must take time, I suppose, because people are at different stages of their, their journey. It may take some people um, longer periods of time than others to be able to, to see that opportunity. It must be able, it must be hard to be able to see that opportunity through the, if you like, the, the, the fog of war, the fog of um, conflict in a relationship. Yeah, it's, um, it's great that you mentioned, you know, the stages because I think that uh, for each individual uh, parent, they can be at different, they're often at different stages. And so depending on where you're at in it can, can really impact on how easy it is or how much work it is um, to, to shift or to make things different. So when adults make that choice and a commitment to seeing things in a particular way, uh, from from early on is better, but it can really turn things around, even in cases where there's been high conflict in the past. Is there an element of trying and failing and getting up and trying again about uh, about this? It strikes me that it's a complicated journey and a difficult reframe. Um, people must perhaps try and then and then fail. And in circumstances like that, is the advice just to keep trying? Well, the advice is to keep trying, but I think more importantly, it's to recognise the little successes. So I think lots of people can um, give something a go and hope that it's going to change uh, things dramatically very quickly, but it's more about chipping away at it and it's uh, about recognising the little glimpses of things going well along the way that can be uh, reassuring. What's an example of someone giving something a go? Um... Uh, is it a turn of phrase? Is it some skills building to avoid uh, what might be the standard escalation? Um, is it a manner of communicating with their partner? What's an example of, of, of giving something a go, uh, Davide? You know, it, it can be lots of different things and it really depends on the context. Giving things a go can be um, trying to communicate in a different way actually giving it a go to instead of responding with the first thing that comes to mind or the emotion that, that gets triggered often in difficult conversations, um, making a choice to stop, take a breath, uh, even take a walk or talk to somebody that you're close to to debrief before you come back and respond to, to a, a message or an email or some type of communication, something like that. Is, is part of the task then, and I mentioned the term skills building a moment ago, uh, and I mentioned that because in the work that, that I'm doing in, in mediating with, with couples who are going through separation and divorce and trying to assist them to de-escalate yeah. um, and to have good discussions, um, obviously through the, through the mediator, um, with all the benefits that that entails, of less stress and less cost and uh, less time, sure. often... What I'm finding is that many people, very good people, they just don't have the skills um, necessary to be able to do some of these things which need to be done, yep. to be able to de-escalate and so forth, or to perhaps recognise a trigger that, that's causing some anxiety and being able to manage that. So how much of, so two questions from that, how much of what you do would and the Resilience Centre does would you put in that basket of skills building, so giving people um, advice on how to build their skills? And secondly, 
in respect of people entering a separation and divorce, so question number two, what is the right time, if there is a right time, in their journey to speak to the resilience centre um, as they're contemplating or going through a separation and divorce? So we talked about setting it up right. I think that that really helps. Uh, mm. The families that I've worked with where uh, I've, I've met them before the separation has occurred and been able to walk them through it and walk through with them um, yeah. that whole process, it seems to go quite well and there's, mm. a, there's a higher chance that it goes smoothly. So earlier the better, I think, definitely. And skills are such an important part of making, making this successful. It's about uh, skills for yourself so that you can manage particular situations, but also interpersonal skills. Communication is a huge part of this. And sometimes separated parents end up communicating more than they did when they were actually together. So we want to, we want to make sure that everybody has the, the skills that are most helpful so that they can move through it nice and smoothly. Yeah, that's I completely agree from my own perspective uh, as a as someone who looks at this as a both a lawyer and also a mediator. Um, and look, I, I haven't collected data on this, but just intuitively and, and logically, um, when couples are having the assistance of good advice um, about their own mental health and their own resilience and so forth. Usually, uh, mediation is far more successful. Yep. And part of it is people just seem to be able to better organise their thoughts, um, better respond to um, what is a moment of crisis and what can be ongoing crisis as well. So, uh, I really I'm glad to see that you see that and that yeah. that's part of your experience because that's what I that's what I see and that's what I hope. Uh, yeah. But I'm not usually on your end of things. Oh, look, yeah, look, it just depends. And um, you know, my, my end of things will be seeing people who are, and, and everybody's different and every couple's different, every relationship is, is different. But one of the tasks that um, you and I have in common is, is trying to help people reframe Yes. And, and understanding that there's a value of a particular claim, so a claim that people might make in relation to a separation and a divorce. And there's also the value of, of, of settlement and much of that value of settlement is looking at the opportunities for, for moving forward. You mentioned communication a, a moment ago. Let's talk about that. The thing that I, the, the, there's three things that I get asked the most, uh, the, the, the first is, or the three observations, the first is we want to treat each other fairly but we don't know what that is. The second is our lawyers started to fight we didn't want to have. Um, I hear that a lot. And then the third thing is I need to have some difficult conversations with either my partner or my kids and I don't know how to have them. Um, so my question to you is uh, what advice do you have for people in, in this art of having the, and it is an art, it is a skill, of having the difficult conversation? You know, um, when I think about difficult conversations, the first thing that comes to my mind is that I can usually anticipate it. And so when I anticipate a difficult conversation, my heart starts to beat out of my chest. Yeah, and I notice yeah. my breathing starts to yeah. change. Um, my voice even starts to shake a little bit. And then I start to notice all of those symptoms, which just makes it a whole lot worse. Difficult conversations um, are also almost always about big ticket items. And so through that you know through the process of separation and divorce there you know we're talking about big ticket items mm. things like your kids things about spending time with your kids and finances and security in the future 
So big ticket items and big emotions make for difficult conversations. Mm. So in that moment, um, and the people in the in, in the, the high performance world, which is obviously a separate world, they talk about when they're doing things well and they're doing difficult things well, they call that flow. Mm. Um, but at the other end of things, when you're, when, when you're finding the moment very, very difficult and you can feel your heart rate rising, um, you're stumbling over your words, as we all do, uh, under pressure from time to time, they call that frazzle. Yes. So in moments of frazzle, um, how do, what's your advice in, in, in how people can respond? Because obviously a difficult conversation can be made worse by how you respond. Yes. So mid-conversation, mid when you're noticing those, traits which you've just referenced yep. how does one respond so those um those moments are really important to manage but remember what i've said so far is in my mind it's all about setting it up right so mm -hmm. first of all if i go into the situation anticipating a difficult conversation that's almost always going to trigger those reactions those symptoms uh, automatically so I, I, I think that there's a number of skills that can seem to have a huge difference for couples and give them a higher chance for you know, making it through and navigating through difficult conversations. Um, high on that list would be the skill of empathy. Going into the conversation, um, thinking about what it's like to walk in the other person's shoes. I know that that sounds, um, well, I know how that sounds to consider that you know, you're going through your own grief, but also now there's an expectation that you think about another person and think about how they're doing. But I think when you consider uh, what it's like and really try to understand it and acknowledge it, that can change the way that you enter into a difficult conversation. So that's kind of the first part of it. But then while you're in that situation and you do recognize those uncomfortable sensations, uh, then there's, there's some really helpful and very easy strategies, uh, things like a grounding strategy, stopping, taking a breath, uh, listening for three different sounds, uh, something like finding a tall glass of water and drinking it all in one go, or things like a, a simple breathing strategy. You know, they're just some of the really easy strategies that don't take much time that usually people can't tell you're even doing when you're doing them. And, um, and they're really helpful when your emotion brain has been activated. Because when your emotion brain's activated, then your ability to think clearly or to communicate has been compromised. Mm, terrific, uh, terrific triggers and, and, and they seem to me to be very, very high yield uh, things to do when you are in that moment, which we all find ourselves in. Um, preparation, you, you've, you've spoken about preparation and the need to be empathetic in in preparation and during a, a difficult conversation, as part of that preparation, is it, is it wise to actually try and run through what you anticipate the conversation to be? Is it wise to find someone who you trust, uh, who you might be able to do some work with and, and effectively role play? Because so much turns on these on these moments, and as you say, there's so much at stake. Yeah. Is that the sort of preparation which you'd recommend that people actually do go those lengths to? Jack, I think that's a great idea. I think, uh, well, the research says that parents that adjust well are parents that use the resources around them uh, to process uh, how they're feeling and their emotions. So uh, being able to run through difficult conversations with somebody who you feel safe with uh, is a great idea. If your emotion brain's been high, you know, has hijacked the conversation, then what can also end up happening is that you end up talking about uh, six or seven important 
things, but off-topic things, and they might be related to other uh, triggering memories or uh, problems that you haven't worked through yourself yet. So it's good to be able to know what it is that you want to talk about, um, be able to run through it with somebody who you trust and who, with whom you feel safe. But it's also, I think it's a good idea to, if you're entering into a difficult conversation, agree on what it is that you're talking about first. So even write it down. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of writing things down. Mm -hmm. Write down the topic, put it in the middle of, of the both of you and say, okay, this is what we're talking about and we both agree. Anything else that comes up, we'll note down and we might have those conversations at another time. But today, this is the conversation that we're having. So part of preparation then might be not only preparing for how you'll actually perform in that, that conversation and also anticipating what the response might be, but part of preparation you're suggesting perhaps should also be developing an agenda in advance and providing that to the other person yep. such that no one's taken by surprise and at least giving the other person the chance to do their own prep for what is probably going to be a difficult conversation for them also. Is that right? You got it. That's it. One of the things that I, and it's so, it's so practical and, and it's, it's, but it is so high yield. Uh, 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 one of the things that I say to people a lot at the start of the mediation process, and one of the questions I ask is, look, what is success to this mediation? What does success look like? And it's forever fascinating and a lost opportunity that a lot don't know the answer. Yeah. Well, they haven't thought about it. Um, so with that in mind, uh, is it in that same context, is it useful for people to, to ask that question in relation to a difficult conversation? What will be success for this difficult conversation to think on that in advance and perhaps to also ask the other person in advance what they think it might be? Yeah, absolutely. Thinking about what you want the outcome to be uh, and, and how you'll know that it's been successful is a, a really nice way of then being able to get there. Uh, mm. Often what's used is, in, is a metaphor. When you get into a taxi, uh, you don't, the taxi driver doesn't ask you, so where have you been? The taxi driver asks you, so where do you want to go? And that's because we need to know how to get you there. Mm. So knowing where you want to go is really important. It's a terrific analogy. I've not, I've not heard of that, but it just it makes all the it makes all the sense in the world. Um, so we're talking, we've talked about preparation and, and what constitutes success to having those difficult conversations, or at least asking oneself that question. What are the barriers to communicating well at this stage um, when people are going through this time of crisis? What are the barriers to to communicating well, David, at this point? There's a psychological theory that explores a concept called psychological rigidity versus psychological flexibility. And it says that uh, if we hold a position of psychological rigidity, that is being fixed in our thinking, uh, being closed-minded or close to change, stuck or stubborn, then that leads to psychological suffering. Uh, it also says that if we hold a position of psychological flexibility where we're open, where we're accepting of difference and of change, then this leads to psychological vitality. So I think barriers to communicating um, fit into a similar framework. They, they come from being fixed and rigid in our thinking, but also in our interactions and our expectations. How hard is that to achieve? That, that sounds um, very hard for, for a lot of people. I'd imagine that would sound very hard for a lot of people to achieve. 
It's so fascinating. The biggest barrier that I find in resolving mediation is exactly that. It is um, wanting to wanting to win, which can sometimes be absolutely against your own best interests. Yes. Um, so how how hard is that to achieve? And also, is it age related? Um, as we get a bit older, is that rigidity more rigid and less likely to be flexible? You're using and we're speaking very very frankly in very plain language and can you teach an old dog new tricks yeah that's the old dog new tricks that i was going to say can <laughs> um, you do it in your experience can you can you do it and if so how, how can you do it yes okay so at the very foundation of it all there's now decades of research that suggests that the human brain can continue to acquire skills and to learn throughout the lifespan uh, one of the most effective ways of doing that is through repetition so if you've been in a repeated pattern of communicating in an unhelpful way or thinking in an unhelpful way, then it's going to take some practice to do things different in doing things differently um, before it becomes second nature or before it becomes easier. So while all of the science behind it says that it's possible, there's a number of factors that make it more of a challenge. The more that you've done an unhelpful behaviour, then the harder it's going to be. Um, but I, I really do believe that connecting to uh, your resources, the people around you, your strengths, uh, and and understanding fully what's important to you as a person uh, and as a parent, that that can that can be helpful in creating that shift. Mm. It's so important that, that that is another excellent point because people make assumptions about each other. Um, that they may, in respect of a separation or, or divorce, be weighing um, weighing things the same. That is to say, one people may think that they both want 50-50 of an asset pool, when in fact well, one person will be weighing an outcome very, very differently. Mm -hmm. it, won't, it won't all be about the commercial outcome. It'll be about how they're feeling about um, themselves, how they want the other person to feel about it. Yep. Or they value moving forward, um, the value to them of no longer being in, a, in conflict, the value of closure, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's just absolutely, absolutely fascinating. Um, yep. Davido, we're running out of time. Uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot. I always do learn a lot anytime we speak. Um, hopefully this will be part one of a 200-part series. Uh, so, th so thank you. But just whilst we're concluding, what other general advice can you give for the tens of thousands of Australians who are starting to use the separation guide site and who are going through this this process of separation or divorce? Um, that feels like a lot of pressure. That's a tough question. That's, that is a very, very tough question. Do your best. Look, firstly, I would say uh, good on you for looking for a helpful way to navigate through challenging times because it can be very challenging for adults, for children, for families. Um, including extended family members mm. and uh, blended family members. So uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But my advice would be something that I often ask people to consider is to, you know, take a moment to think about making it through this chapter and for the most part, doing it well. Imagine a time in the future when your children are all grown up and they're adults sitting around a dinner table together with their partners and with their close friends and they're discussing uh, what it was like for them when their parents separated. 
And then I would ask you to consider what would you hope that they would say? So, Vito, thank you very, very much for those insights. It's been uh, just a wonderful learning experience and um, it will be of enormous benefit to everybody who's um, watching this video cast. Congratulations on, on the work that you do and strength to the arm of the Resilience Centre and your good self. Oh, thanks. It's been a pleasure. Had a good time.